Hello and welcome to episode number 204, 204. We are keeping a streak going with these Mandalorian episodes. Not much to plug, not much to tell you about. As always, uh, I will just say uh, we are checking in uh, every once in a while on at NerdProCoil on Twitter. So let us know that you are listening. Tell your friends, tell your friends, tell our friend, tell their friends. It's uh, how we can spread around word about this podcast as we have been coming back and trying to do this on a more regular basis. Uh, we will be doing this probably on a weekly schedule, at least as long as The Mandalorian is on, and probably through December. We will see what happens in January. But January, there might be uh, some solo episodes and some other projects. Like I said, I I can't talk about them because every time I talk about them on the podcast and try to promote them, they end up being jinx. But in the meantime, you can follow my personal Instagram if you uh, like comic book art or pictures of hiking uh, things uh, that is uh, at uh, Martin Jamie C on Instagram, uh, NerdProCore on Twitter, at NerdProCore on Twitter, NerdProCore at gmail.com to email us. Let us know you're out there uh, if you are still out there. We will see what happens. But in the meantime, enjoy this episode, episode number 204 of the NerdProCore podcast. Stay nerdy, y'all. And we're there we are. Hot damn, this was yeah. quite the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I mean as a Star Trek fan, I know that this was a truly amazing experience in terms of connecting this series to not only the um uh Star Wars, you know, main canon, but also yeah. with, you know, uh Rebels and Clone Wars and Clone and all Wars, that shit. yeah. It's like, damn. And obviously, Filoni is the one responsible for all yeah. of this. So he did a great job in terms of weaving everything in a nicely tight package. Well, he is, as we learned when we watched the. Uh, uh, by the way, we're back. We're, we've been we're we're on a roll here, like record. And I think it had a lot to do with the Mandalorian of like recording and releasing episodes once a week again. I mean, to be fair, it's been. <laughs> This year has not been a great stream of like great content to talk this is, about. This is true. Um, but like this, the Mandalorian. Uh, I don't know if you're gonna do anything with the Expanse, you know, in December. But when that, you went, oh yeah, when it comes. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot of shit happening. Yeah. And Wonder Woman eighty four is Woman. Be coming out next month. So uh, there's a lot of stuff coming out. Tenant is uh, technically already in theaters, and it's gonna be re- it's gonna be available. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but yeah, oh god. So because it's Filoni is as they mentioned on like the the like Disney like where they go behind the scenes and they talk about the directors basically talk to each other. He's the continuity master. He just exactly. he knows all of the lore from not just the shows that he personally worked on, but he knows all the stuff from prequels. I'd be willing to bet that he knows a bunch of extended universe stuff too. And he just one of the things that's I mean, before we get into like specific details, one of the things that's great about this episode is it's through one character, essentially. It's it's a Soka Tono Tono. Uh, who who connects all these things, but just through her and like the things that she talks about, even without like telegraphing and telling you directly what it is, which is 
we before recording you mentioned that it's like oh this is better than like what George so what George Lucas would have done was have her explain everything yeah whereas this was just like she makes references to stuff that like Anakin but she never says Anakin the way Filoni did it versus George Lucas, which is why I've never been been a big fan of his writing, he overexplains. Yeah, you know, and he does not give the audience enough credit to yeah. put things together. And I think Filoni knows if we're watching the show, we're already Star Wars fans. Yeah, let's just focus on the emotion of what happened. But in but 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 prequels. what it what makes it awesome is that. You don't need to know any of that stuff to enjoy the episode. It just, if you do know it, it deepens your enjoyment of the episode. And on top of that, I think it's well enough done that if even if you don't know, if this is the only Star Wars thing you've ever seen, I would I would argue uh, that it it's... Sorry, I'm fiddling with volume Dips here. And bobs and knobs. Yeah, um... I would argue that it would it actually could if you're just a casual Star Wars fan or just like this is the only Star Wars thing you've seen so far it might actually get you to go and maybe like want to check out Clone Wars wrongly want to check out the prequels but you know what are you going to do a about good gateway that gateway drug because yeah. it'll at least gives proper context to what happened yeah. there and hopefully I think maybe even though those movies are not the best yeah. At least it gives you an idea of what happened and, yeah. and see these characters as opposed to having them being alluded to. Um, so I would think you could watch the prequels. I mean, I, I've heard this argument before. It's like younger people uh, who had not seen the original trilogy first, seen uh, the prequels, not as terrible for them and much more enjoyable for them than it would have than it would be for even us, even though we weren't necessarily born or we were really young when the original trilogy came out. Like, we still have that attachment to, to the original trilogy. Um, but I've heard from many people who were, like, way younger who, like, saw that when they were kids or even saw that when they were, like, preteens. And they really enjoyed the prequels. They don't nec- they don't have the bias against it that to we do. To be fair, uh, those young people don't know shit. Uh, so I mean that's true. I've seen the content that they watch, so of course they're gonna like that shit. Yeah, you know, their their bar. Well, keep is in mind, way but but low. keep in mind, like those, like we were high school. No, we were a little bit older, maybe when the prequels came out. Oh, I'm we talking were in about high school. We were yeah, high, I'm talking about people. Yeah, I was talking about uh, so the, the people who are like in their teens and twenties. Teens, right? teens, yeah. Then who would be in their twenties now? You know what I mean? Like preteen, like like middle school, mm-hmm. and or were kids when it came out are now in their twenties. Doesn't that make you feel old? Um, uh, no, but my uh, gray hairs do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but just, oh God. Sorry, I, periodically I just dis- get distracted by the fact that Rosario Dawson. Uh, let's all right. It's let's just get the started. casting is just so. We've established that this show does a massive job in terms of presentation, but. We were talking during the smooth during the show that we know that George Lucas borrows heavily from westerns and samurai yeah. movies. Kurosawa specifically. This 
episode encapsulates whatever George Lucas always envisioned doing. Yes. George Lucas wanted to do this, but Filoni actually is the well, one no, no, no. and Favreau the, executed the, this the, the, massively. The, the argument that has been made, especially about the original Star Wars, A New Hope, is he never actually learned. Like, he definitely was pulling a lot of stuff from Kurosawa. And Kurosawa was... All, was uh, so Westerns pulled a lot from Kurosawa, and Kurosawa also, it was uh, like around the move, times when those movies were coming out, they both kind of like Kurosawa was watching Westerns and pulled a lot of stuff from Westerns, and the Westerns of that time pulled a lot from, like, the most obvious uh, example is The Magnificent Seven is Seven Samurai. It's the same movie, just with the same characters. It's just Seven Samurai... Is in Japan and at Samurai. Uh, Magnificent Seven is gunfighters in the Old West. It's literally like if you watch those, like you can see like the characters are identical. The situation is identical. They're protecting a village against bandits. Uh, except in on you know over here in America it was cowboys, and over there it was samurai. Like it's just it's. Yeah, and that happened a little bit back and forth. So yeah, all so much of the Jedi is like Battle of the Wills and like Kurosawa samurai shit. Uh, the other argument is that like he didn't know when he made Star Wars, and he never really learned that he had made a we- a space western. It was accidental. Yeah, I think I don't think he, I, I like I think he was going for an aesthetic. That was kind of like Western, but I don't think he actually ever, like, really understood that what he had made was a space Western. I mean, whatever he tried to do, he inspired a generation of creators yeah. in terms of, like, taking whatever he started and they're running with it. They got the baton and they're expanding on this. And what Favreau and... In this episode, Filoni did was just like this is just the opening shot. I'm like, this is like a samurai. I, I'm, I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima for the PlayStation, sure, and it's a samurai video game. So, and that video game borrows heavily from Kurosawa films and yeah. samurai films. And I'm seeing the same shots. I'm yeah. seeing the same aesthetics. I'm like, damn, this is just lovely. Just even the duels setting yeah. up between. Um, uh, Ashoka Tano and whatever the magistrate is. Yeah. So that was just amazing. Um, it's just like it was a beautifully shot episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so, so many things get a good about this episode. Uh, finally learning the, you know, like we were watching. Yeah. That, what the, did you uh, think about the name? It's fine. It's a Star Wars name. It's a Star Wars name. Grogu. Grogu, why not? <laughs> I mean, I do love the, the cooing sounds that Grogu makes whenever you say his, his name because no one ever says it except yeah. for this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. someone knows my name. Yeah. Uh, adorable. Um, and I think here, this we already know that Grogu loves Man, you know, Mando. Yeah. But just to like see, as you said, a third party bear witness to this and sure. actually explain what you know Yoda feels even though we haven't been able to understand him that was just it kind of was yeah. heartwarming to hear yeah. all of that and also so this is like a character thing is 
So the the uh, the YouTube uh, Wookie whatever whatever what are they called the new rock stars Wait, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, new rock stars. So uh, they were talking about this, and I was like, oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, is she's repeating. So there's an interesting moment, and I also, like, kind of, like, cocked my head when she repeats, like, almost the exact, if not the word-for-word word, exact same line that Yoda says about Anakin in the prequels. You mentioned that he says that to her. That's why she leaves the Jedi Order because they didn't give her the chance, or maybe she was no, just... no, no, no. It's uh, she. What I said was part of the reason, and I'm sure because I haven't actually seen the episodes where you know, of Clone Wars where she actually leaves uh, the Jedi Order. Um, but the impetus for that is the entire time. She is, over the course of Clone Wars, uh, and we talked about this a little bit in the previous episode, it's just like, uh, Jedi aren't supposed to be soldiers. They aren't supposed to be in a war. And the longer Ahsoka Tono is in the Clone Wars, and what she sees, it's slowly doing to Anakin. And then what it's seeing, what Anakin, what happens to Anakin. And being powerless to, to stop it, and just seeing, like... The Sith are evil, but the Jedi are just are also just like not. They're they're too much like you know on it. I, I like I said I can't I can't I. This is just the way I I feel about it, and I have a feeling that I'm. I I am pretty sure I'm right when I actually get to those episodes, and I read a little bit about it. I was like I can almost guarantee that that's what makes her leave the Jedi, is just seeing her master turn. And also just seeing the rest of the Jedi become something. It's all throughout, even in the earlier seasons. Like I'm, I think I'm in like season three of Clone Wars. It's in there where she starts to see. It's just like we shouldn't be doing this. Like we shouldn't be in a war. It's doing really bad things to the Jedi Order. Uh, and the fact that we've made the, the, this decision means that maybe the light side also is too much like trying try like the middle way <laughs> that's why i've i just didn't understand it because i always felt that the character of osoka tano because i've i've seen some clone wars i haven't seen all of it yeah and also my lesson in the new trilogy being all being having a little bad is not a bad thing yeah and I was kind of hoping that that would be the lesson imparted that she would impart on Grogu, well, what, or that she would adopt herself. So what? What she is in that, like what those guys said on on New Rockstars, I think they're absolutely right. When she repeats Yoda's words that Yoda said to Anna, because she wasn't in the room when those in the prequels. She's already a. Uh, oh no, she is. She is it. She is in the room because she's a master by then in the prequels. Although that's retconned in Clone Wars, but whatever. Um, she repeats the words that Yoda says or Mace uh, to Anakin Skywalker and to. Uh, oh God. Uh, Obi. Oh, before Obi, the Qui Gon. Qui Gon. Uh, I think. 
that's not her talking about the kid. That's her talking about herself. Like, her, the fear is, I mean, the kid had, probably has some fear, but I think that's, she's talking about herself because she saw what happened to Anakin. Is like, she's, she's saying that not necessarily because the kid actually needs to be trained, which I think she's gonna, definitely going to come back. She's, of course, she's going to show up again, I think, uh, either later in this season or if there's a third season, she'll show up in the third Gideon's season. Because on the way. Yeah. Um, I think that whole thing of her, number one, is she, like, if she's going to train the kid, then uh, Din Djarin, like, Mando has to stay. That's the one part of it, I think. If she understands that, like, she can't, like, she can't train the kid and, like, and keep Mando, because Mando would have to stay. Uh, and to separate them would mean that the, like, she couldn't actually, that the kid couldn't be separated from him. That's really one of the, one of the things. And, but also, there's a lot of, like, her seeing what happened to Anakin. Because, like, when you watch the prequels, it seems really quick, his turn from just being the lights, having some dark tendencies. Even if, like, you know, him killing all the Tusken Raiders in, in Episode 2 to turning to the dark side in uh, in Revenge of the Sith. In Clone Wars, you see a really, like, you just see it slowly, him just getting angrier and angrier and just, like, him just acting on his impulses. And for a while, she does it too, but, like, she's... Her her acting on her impulses is because she's young. It's not because, like, she's angry. Hey, can you hear us? We cannot hear you. Can't hear me? Up, oh, we heard we you got for a you. second. Keep talking so we can... So... Yeah, okay, there you are. Yeah, it takes a minute. Uh, how you doing, man? All I, right. I know, I know... Maradona um, passed away, and I know you're heartbroken. But to be fair, Diego Maradona was a cunt. I'm just letting you know. Great soccer pay- player, but man, did he have an ego. So, 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 ju- so, ego. so, just as a as a sidebar, because um, we might massively upset Maradona fans, I would just like to point out to the audio listeners how ha- how how tenderly. Eve touched the screen that Rich is on <laughs> when he says that. I mean, I, it I was very it. tender. I it was mean, a very tender moment. <laughs> as a Knicks and Jets fan, I have very few sports heroes that actually achieved great heights because my hero, sports heroes sucked ass. Uh, but at least Maradona was right there next to Pele in terms of like greatest soccer legends of all time. So like legit le- legitimately even though we're a nerd podcast like legitimately like if I even I know who that is like <laughs> I'll just like oh, that yeah, that's uh, legends I, status like Yeah. And I know I like four soccer players. Live on to be the two greatest uh soccer legends of all time. Um I mean of, of their time of the 20 tw- of the twentieth century, to sure. be fair. But because so, it looks like the battery is going low, let's get to to Mandalorian. Fuck, 
Let's fuck dude. talking about soccer. Dude, all right, dude. How? What did you think? What did you fucking think about this episode? It, it was it was fantastic. It was fantastic. I even I mean, I just finished watching it. Uh, that's why I joined in a little bit late. Is um, uh, but we're definitely worth. Uh, uh, Rosario Dawson, man. <laughs> man, dude, like number one as as I'm like watching her and like halfway through I'm like I, I'm telling I'm asking Charlie he's like is that Rosario Dawson? And oh, so yeah, you didn't know already because the most kick-ass role so far. You didn't yeah. know that she was part of Star Wars. I had no, I didn't know. Oh wow! They, they had teased that before the the start of this season that she was. They, there was a teaser like uh, that may or may not have been leaked photo of her in the like in the makeup or like uh, a like piece of artwork of her in the the of so yeah it was a rumor and then it was a confirmed rumor that she was gonna play Ahsoka Tano in in the show. Number one, just having the character in the show made Star Wars Clone Wars. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Charlie just appeared on screen. What the hell? <laughs> um, made Star Wars fans go insane. And then casting out Rosario Dawson was just like, oh, that's just perfect. That's just, oh, God. Yeah. I As a... I'm not a... As I always keep saying, I'm not a huge fan of Star Wars, but things, the only Star Wars related shit that I love have been Rogue One and the show. And this specific, specifically this episode is, in my opinion, the best episode of the, the first two seasons. It's just magical. Oh, the first two seasons? I think it's, e- I don't know, I have to... I have to really think about it, but definitely the best episode of season two by far. I I don't know if by far, but definitely like up there. If maybe a little bit better than the the rest of the the Mandalorian, like Kitty Sack. It's for for me, and I, and maybe for Eve too. It's like it's like uh, who do we who are we who are we more psyched to see like Kitty Sackoff and. Uh, Katie Sackoff or Rosario Dawson, like, like who? Like, I think this is the most important episode because it ties together a very straightforward Western sci-fi yeah. show with the greater Star Wars universe, where there, we're first, we're really now into the Jedi and the Force. Yes, yeah. we've dealt with Krogu. Now that we know the name, now we know his name, yeah. And this is like this is the first time we've seen like an established Jedi, yeah, on this show and how they interact with a live Mandalorian. Because I don't did Boba Fett fight Luke? No, no, he dies in Return of the Jedi. He only he only appears in Return of the Jedi. All the Boba Fett stuff that is not Empire and the. Uh, retcon scene in Star Wars in the the redone uh, New Hope where he he appears with Boba Fett. Uh, he's only in the original trilogy. All the other stuff that has him is all extended universe stuff. Unless he's in Rebels. I don't know. I haven't watched Rebels. He might be in Rebels. Okay. But I also think picking Ahsoka Tono is just like you basically through one character have tied 
it to every Star Wars thing that's in canon so far. It's Clone Wars, it's Rebels, it's prequels, it's original trilogy, because it's through Anakin, it's prequels and original trilogy, so, like... What did you think about Krogu's origin story and his connection with the original trilogy and... Well, no, the prequels. The prequels. He's connected to the prequels. Well, how much was revealed so far, though? Because what do we know? We know that he he went through some difficult turmoil uh, and that he was being kept, right? Uh, am I missing something? He's He was being kept um, hidden. He was kept in hiding for some time, and he's seen some things, clearly. Well, what are you referring to as so, far as... So, just to clarify, in case any of this wasn't clear, what's implied when they say that he was trained at the Jedi Temple mm-hmm. is apparently what Ahsoka says is that... So, he was being trained by several Jedi, so he was around during the prequels. He's not a clone. He's not a clone. He was, he was around during the prequels. He was being trained by Jedi. He witnessed the fall of the Jedi Temple in Revenge of the Sith, even though they've kind of... Clone Wars kind of retconned a lot of the events in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, okay. Especially because in a Revenge of the Sith, Asako Tono dies in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, so they've... Clone Wars retconned... Clone Wars, the animated series, retconned that. Uh, but they imply that he was in the Jedi Temple when Anakin... Uh, slaughtered all the younglings. But he apparently, because they're retconning that, did not slaughter all of the younglings. Because what she said was that he was... he was taken from the Jedi Temple. And that, like, I think she says something like that he was there when the Jedi Temple fell. Which means he witnessed the fall of the Jedi Temple, stayed hidden in the Jedi Temple, and after, like, the rise of the Empire and, you know... Uh, Order 66 and then somebody in, found him in the ruins of the Jedi Temple and that's where his memory goes kind of fuzzy. Yeah. And okay. he's purposely kept his powers in, uh, you know, inert so he doesn't rise. And we know he was experiment, experimented on by a scientist working for the Empire. Yeah. Or no. Uh Maybe a science scientist working for the Empire, and then a scientist working for uh, Moth, uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character. So he has to be Yoda's child, because uh, Ahsoka mentioned the only other ape being that looked like him was Yoda. Yeah. So he had to be have been the child of Yoda and Yavo. Well, they might also be implying that. Uh, they might get to this. They also because they they bring up the M count as well in that episode. So there, if I'm just putting this together now, if we're saying that he's the only other one that they've seen that looks like Yoda, his M count, the middle chlorine count, is really high. He might be a second product of the process that produced Anakin, because Anakin, remember, had a mother but not a father. So, like, 
they're implying that like wait, wait, in the, and Anakin was the one who was like supposed to bring balance to the force. They're implying that like that Grogu was produced the same way. Uh, unless they get to him ha- actually having parents in this. And she's saying the only other one she's seen that looks like him is Yoda. That means that, like, number one, he might be a Yoda clone. Or number two, that he was, like, spontaneously produced. Act- and But we don't know. Maybe Yoda's people, like, you know, maybe Yoda, that's the way they reproduce. reproduce. Maybe at one point Yoda just potted. And that explains why they look like the fucking gizmo. Someone poured y- water on Yoda, <laughs> and Grogu popped out of his back. And then so, we're gonna, at I, some I'm point later, like, we're gonna meet five more little Yodas with different personalities, and one of them is gonna have a little stripy mohawk, like gremlins. You mean? Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. I was like, that's why they look like, 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 like the fucking gremlins, because like, <laughs> that's how Yoda, re- Yoda's peoples reproduce. You pour water on them. And now we just know that we cannot feed Rogu after midnight. He will go to the dark side. I'm wondering now, at at what rate do do uh, creatures like Grogu age? Because if if we're if we're saying that he's he's he was around in the during the in the days of the prequels, and he was around. Uh, when Yoda was around and is potentially his kid, then is he really a baby? Or... So it was established in the first season that he's there. Someone actually says, like, no, his kind aged slower. He's actually in his 50s. Because Yoda was quite ancient. Yeah. At the time, he right. was like 800 or 900 Once years Once you re- reach the original trilogy, A New Hope, yeah, he's already like 800 plus. Yeah, yeah someone the... someone definitely directly says like, no, he looks like a child, but he's at his his people actually age really slowly, so he's actually like fifty years old. Yeah, that's what I was wondering because I'm I'm sure they they covered that in one of the uh, one of the movies, but I'm a little rusty with the. Well, prequel. no, no, they no they they mention it about Baby Yoda in season one of the Mandalorian. Someone like I forget who it is. Someone actually does bring that up. It's like no, he's he's he's. He's in his fifties, <laughs> if okay. not a little older, which is why he can communicate like he can actually he understands stuff. It's just that he looks like a child and he kind of acts like a child. But that's <laughs> the way. Apparently, that's the way there. But also, if you remember, even Yoda when he was like really old, or even when he was like a Jedi Master, was kind of like playful and weird and childlike. Yeah. <laughs> so that might just be a characteristic of their people. That they're just, you know, and that might be, I'm really reaching here, but that might be why their connection to the Force is so strong, is they have, like, a sense of, like, they never lose their wonder or whatever. Yeah. Hmm. But, yeah, overall, this episode was was pretty fantastic. Uh, Michael Bane! Michael Bane! So, Jamie made the connection that the the lieutenant or the number one that uh, followed the uh, directions of the magistrate. Yeah. He was the actor uh, from Aliens. What's his name? It's uh, Kyle Kyle Reese from Terminator. 
Kato. Yeah. That's right. And yeah, Corporal, looking... Corporal Hicks from Aliens. Michael Bain. Yes. That was Michael Bain, the, the like the gunfighter. He did not age just, well. No, he, fuck, yeah. but, but, but keep it not. Keep Terminator in mind, like this Terminator. Terminator is like 1984 or something like that. That's over 30 years ago. So yeah, and he was in his 20s then. So he's in like his late 50s, maybe even early 60s now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw. I I I read his name on the credits, but it, it the the name rang familiar, but I couldn't connect. I couldn't connect to to what movie I knew I knew that name from. I knew his voice. I I didn't recognize his face, but I I was like I know that voice. I bet you that's Michael Bain. And then I looked it up and I was like that's Michael Bain. <laughs> I know Michael <laughs> Bain. And uh and Diana Lee in Asanto, I was just like I recognize her. Why do I recognize her? And it's because she's Dan and Asanto's daughter. Dan and Asanto is one of the people who trained with slash he trained with and also trained uh, Bruce Lee. So, like, Bruce Lee taught him, like, kung fu and thing and stuff, and Dan Inosanto is actually the one who's responsible for teaching Bruce Lee, like, nunchucks and stuff. So that's Dan Inosanto's daughter, who has been in a few things acting, but he mm. looks... She looks like her dad, uh, which is why mm. her face looked familiar. But I was also like, oh, she's just done stunt work for, like, everything. And that that duel that between Otano and the magistrate, I'm like, that was very impressive for a TV show to yes. pull that off. Just like well, not not well also done. not flashing fight choreography, but made it like look cool. Yeah, a lot of that is the lighting and the setting. Which, by the way, the set set design and lighting in this episode was... are just fantastic. The yes. angles, like the way they, like, shooting up, like the way they, when uh, Soka Tono was moving around the rooftops, shooting either up mm-hmm. or down, so you're kind of seeing her view. Mm-hmm. There was even a scene really early in the episode, like there's just so many, they did they did Evil Dead camera, which I really, really appreciated. There is a scene it, really early in this episode where there's like a, one of the riflemen's. And it's from a Sokotono's uh, perspective, okay. but it's that really fast going up to the yeah. victim that's right out of... It's called the Evil Dead cam because oh, okay. it's just like the cam representing like a, something moving really, really fast to attack. It's usually a monster, but like the person... like, And I think it's a handheld. The person who I think like pioneered that or made that like famous is Sam Raimi in the, in the Evil Dead movies. Uh, oh. And I was like, ah, it's an evil dead shot. <laughs> In a mostly no, the, western the, the and samurai setting, movie. <laughs> Altogether, the setting, the setting and, and just the, the cinematography is is really on point. I mean, it? I was telling Jamie that, you know, it. Uh, Filoni understands that Lucas tried to create a, re- a western and samurai world. And mm-hmm. this episode just screams you know, Kurosawa samurai films. Even the setting where they fight just remem- just reminds me of like a Japanese temple that you've seen. It's a, it's a samurai. School. It's a... So in the... God, Dave Mori's good. Uh, so in the same time period in the episode, you have both a samurai duel 
and a gunfire, gunfire like draw, quick draw, uh, western yeah. standoff. And I was just like, and the fact that they're both occurring at the same time mm. in the same episodes, and it's fucking Star Wars. It's just like. Yeah. I bow to you, David <laughs> You know. And he's also the continuity master, like when I was saying it, it connects to like Clone Wars, Rebels, prequels, original trilogy, even a little bit like, you know, the new ones. It's just like yep. it's like that's because Dave Filoni just knows all of this shit. And because he's worked on Clone Wars and Rebels for so long, he's just he knows how to make it so that it, it just ties together all smoothly through one character the entire movie series basically through one character is it in one episode. the only one writing or is it Filoni involved with the script so the what I what I he is he's executive he's also an executive producer on this yeah uh so the impression I got when you said when we were watching the like the the season one or season two is season one like behind the scenes thing is that what they were saying was like he was the one around who like would explain like when someone had an armor is like oh that armor is from blah 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 like he was because he was he's the executive producer but he's also the person who everyone goes to when they had questions about continuity or how this fits into the larger Star Wars universe. Like, he was the go-to guy for everyone. The, like... Or, like, the impression I got is maybe even unasked. Like, impromptu. It was just like, so we have this costume. It was like, yeah, that's from there. This is uh, from this people. And it stems from that in 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 the prequels, which is also connected to the series. And this, these four other characters. Like, he's that guy. I was like, oh, man, what a great person to have... Working fan, on your show, a fan helming a show like, but this. not a, so. There's a difference between a fan. So interesting thing because you texted me that you watched Batman v Superman. Um, so the so that, <laughs> it's okay. No, no, I I'm glad you did. Is that side note? Is that the the Bat v Superman? Is that the the Snyder cut? No, that Justice League Snyder Cut is coming out next year. Yeah, in January. In January. Oh, okay. On HBO Max. Um, this is just the first time I've watched it after the theaters. Yeah. This is uh, my second time, it's, and it's I was not, curious. It's still not good. Uh, mm. But here's the thing. There's a different... When you say a fan... So Zack Snyder is a huge DC fan. Uh, similarly... Uh, what's his name? Who directed the first Blade... Was Boyer? a no Norton. no no, no, no uh, yeah Stephen Norrington really big Daredevil fan the Daredevil movie that he directed is god awful just because they're a fan of something doesn't mean that they are good at executing the right elements of the storyline the thing that makes Dave Filoni different is that he is. Much in the way that like Joe Casada for a little while in Phase One, the the Marvel movies, there was the 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 Marvel Seven for Phase One of the Marvel movies, who was just like they just made sure that everything made sense together. Uh, I think Dave Filoni's strength isn't just that he's a fan; 
he's a fan who profoundly on profoundly understands storytelling storytelling over a long term in a series making everything connect and making it make sense like and that's when characters yes as well i mean that's one thing i've I, I'm, I was re-watching Batman v Superman, and I, the, I know we've sh- shat on this movie a million times, but being, as you said, just because you're a fan doesn't mean you know how to do the job well, you have yeah. to be a great storyteller, but you also have to know the characters. Yes. He did not know Superman or Batman no. at all. Oh, well, that's what because these are not my not, Batman and he's Superman. He's not a very good director. Yeah, and that's it. Well, see what he did. It's the same thing. The big problem because he also did Watchmen is he he what he loves as a fan. You can mm-hmm. clearly see us see this in everything that he's done. What he enjoys as a comic fan, he can say it's the characters, but it isn't. His movies clearly prove that what he really loves is the spectacle. But he doesn't understand fundamentally what makes any of those characters work. In Watchmen, he he, he loved the spectacle of the storytelling. What he didn't quite understand or latch onto in Watchmen is the sophistication and depth of the storytelling. Because he's not Alan Moore. You know, like he's just, he doesn't under, he fundamentally, as we've seen now, just doesn't understand what, the core of what makes those stories or characters work. He really loves and is good at the spectacle. He's good at the spectacle. Like, say what you want about how terrible the other elements of Batman v Superman are as a spectacle. It's a very well done, Justice League is the same way. But he creates spectacle, but he doesn't allow you to care enough of what's going on. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying is he doesn't under un, fundamentally understand. I think good storytelling, good character development. Like he just he just knows the spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not a problem for for Loney. You know, no. he great writer. You know, pacing is great. Him and Favreau, they're great. Or, 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 or fundamentally, I think. Uh, I mean, the big surprise this season and last season, uh, however you might feel about the episodes. I mean, she did direct one of the not so great episodes of the first season and one of the best episodes so far of the second season is Bryce Dallas Howard. She was the newbie in the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even her, just like... They gave her one of the toughest episodes to direct. Yeah. Uh, both times, I think, so far. Yeah. Uh, but all those people are just fundamentally really good storytellers. Like, and we know because they're, like, I didn't... Uh, when I looked up, like, the, the director, it was like, the guy who did The Wood. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I didn't know he was a huge Star Wars fan, but like, he's a, uh, the woman. I, I'm drawing a blank on her name. I, I'm forgive me for forgetting Chow? those those two. Uh, Deborah, I want to say it's Deborah Chow. Chow. Yeah. She did some of. If you look up her IMDb, her pedigree on TV is like Better Call Saul. Uh, oh God, I can't remember. But like, I was looking at the shows that she worked on. I was like, oh, you know how to make really good TV work. 
and now you've been given the Star Wars universe and a humongous budget to be really good. Like, all of them is like, here's this universe, and here are these two guiding voices, Dave Filoni and John Favreau. John Favreau from Iron Man. Even going all the way back to, like, Swingers. And scaled up, like, Zathura, uh, which is a, is space Jumanji. Yeah. Is what Zathura is. Zathura is not a bad movie. It's actually, as someone, like, the first, John Favreau's first foray into directing a big budget, like, sci fi action film, for someone who had never done that before, like, he did a pretty good job. And by the time he hit Iron Man and Iron Man 2, like, he's just. He now really knows what he's doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> and all the people who worked on that show, with the exception of Bryce Dallas Howard, was like, they just, they're just good at what they do and then when you have like i said two guiding voices john favreau and dave filoni just always on set just making sure everything ties together and makes sense you get a fantastic show <laughs> and a fantastic episode like this one and yeah. jamie mentioned this early on where the biggest problem with star wars is always the writing and the dialogue this show solves it you know, yep. they don't explain too much. You yeah. know, they tell you, they allude to what happened in the past. But like with Rosario Dawson's, as Jamie was mentioning, you know, you see the heartbreak in what went on early on with her relationship with Darth Vader, Darth Vader, without actually over explaining things. She right. never says Anakin. She never mentions Darth Vader. All she's like that line actually. And uh, again, why? Casting Rosario Dawson was fantastic. We were watching a YouTube video on this, like before this, like just very subtle. Like when she's talking, she's like, "I won't teach you. I won't let anyone go down that. Path. I've seen it happen, even to the best of us." And like when she says, "Even to the best of us," there's a little twinge in like her eyebrow, like her eyebrows and her expressions, and you can just see. I mean. We know, or I know, as someone who's watched so much of Clone Wars, is like how deep that relationship was between the two of them, and how much of a heartbreak. Uh, why she so much reminds you of Yoda in this episode is because Yoda, Yoda, after the fall of Jedi, ends up isolating himself. At the end of Revenge of the Sith, he's like, "I'll go into exile," and he ends up on Dagobah. Apparently, Ahsoka Tono did the same thing after the fall of the Jedi and her separation from the Jedi. She just went, I'm going to go live on this little planet. <laughs> but apparently can't help herself from getting involved in, like, post-Empire stuff. Because we learned Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's, like, the major... He's back. Yeah. Um, big villain, the big villain from Rebels and, like, yeah. Uh big character in the extended universe from dark empire like he's like the aside from the emperor he's one of the big uh he's like the last big vestige of the empire like leader left um yeah it's just uh, so much stuff so much stuff it was like (laughs) so just like i said like we're just little things like where they're not they're not telling you if you're not a I, we were saying before, like if you're not a huge Star Wars fan and you haven't watched all of Clone Wars and all of that, you don't have to to watch to enjoy this. But if you do, yeah, it makes it you enjoy it even more. I think it gives little nods here and there for for folks who have. 
but it doesn't really require it. I, for one, I've, I have not watched the Clone Wars series yet. So, but the fact that, you know, it, it doesn't, I don't feel like I'm really missing out too much. And at the same time, it gives, you know, it kind of treats those who have to those little nuggets of, of, uh, of teasers and, and, and information. Yeah, I, I just, like, so I will say, when you guys go back and watch Clone Wars, the one thing I will warn you about Clone Wars is, it was on for seven seasons, so there's seven seasons of it. There are parts of it that are definitely, there's a lot of filler in there. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to, like, you're going to get bored through. But story-wise, a lot of the stuff that seems like it's really boring becomes more important in later seasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will also say, just be wary. The first three seasons... So, very much like Avatar The Last Airbender, the animated series, and a handful of those shows that start as kids' shows, and gradually as the characters... Because Ahsoka Tono is like a teenager... When Clone Wars starts, yeah, she's very young. She uh, is when I'm watching it. Uh, by the time Clone Wars ends, she's an adult. Like, so it is. It is. It occurs essentially in real time. And one of the things that you're when you go back and watch is you're going to notice that the first two or three seasons are very kid oriented. I think we lost Rich because he keeps fiddling with it. Oh no, we didn't. Yeah. Um is that they're very kid-oriented, and the show appeals to a la- an older audience as its actual audience that was watching the show aged. Oh, I'm still in season one. Okay, I've yeah. got a lot to get caught. Yeah, there's seven. Dude, it's... And and they're long seasons, too. They're full seasons. So I think they're bo- they're all, like, maybe... Was it 20 minutes. 20, and I think there's tw- something like... Tw- yeah, 22 episodes per season. So that's 22 times 7. Like, it's a lot of content. But from what too. I've heard, it's the best way because you see the relationships span out mm-hmm. and um, grow between Ashoka and uh, Anakin. And also the rivalry between... Uh, um, what's his name? Not Han Solo. Um, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. And I think... What's his name? Uh, Darth Maul. Uh, their relationship. Darth Maul is 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 in Clone Wars. Darth Maul is also has a backstory in Rebels. Like you look the, so just the thing, two things about like what makes slogging through the more boring parts of Clone Wars worth it is you learn stuff like you learn the the whole way that Darth Maul becomes. Palpatine's uh, uh, apprentice, apprentice. Uh, and it goes through all that to him being the apprentice, and then after he's apparently killed by Qui Gon John in in the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Another little uh, just to tie it into the Mandalorian. So Mandalore was a planet. The leader, like Prime Minister slash Queen, of uh. Mandalore uh, in the episodes that take place on Mandalore. You also learn kind of like the origin of like where the Mandalorians like how that 
in episode four, you learn that there's a difference between by the time this has happened, people have forgotten that Mandalore was once a planet and that the what we consider the Mandalorians as a creed were just like a, a splinter. like They were like religious zealots on Mandalore. And after Mandalore was like kind of destroyed during the purge, they they the fact that it was a planet kind of disappeared. All that is to say, if you want to talk about Obi Wan, apparently before Obi Wan became a Jedi, he had an entire relationship with the, the person who was Sabine, or I think yeah, 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 who is the the leader on Mandalore, and it's just like sister and sister of uh, Bo-Katan, I believe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Again, so it's just like a, a whole thing of like, okay, you have Bo-Katan on Mandalorian, and then if you go back and you find out who Bo-Katan is in Clone Wars, and you find out who her sister was, and you find out that her sister is like the leader of Mandalore, and also apparently had a long relationship that apparently Obi-Wan broke up with her to join the Jedi Order. Like, that's it. And Clone Wars is just full of shit like that we are like and it's all it's all because clone wars is canon it's all canon now like so much detail of like and that's all feloni yeah that's Filoni. all and feloni knows all that he remembers all that shit <laughs> again wait feloni was involved in in clone wars he directed all of that. he is the executive producer <laughs> and uh, no, on Clone Wars, and also one of the primary, like, basically in the same way that he acts on uh, Mandalorian as a guide, he was like a guiding force on all of the Clone Wars series, and also directed and, and wrote a whole bunch of the episodes as well. And he created Ashoka Tano. He's the one who created the character, yeah. Like, so he's just, yeah. <laughs> so all of this shit, in terms of the different colored sabers, that was him from the Clone Wars. The dark saber. Making that canon. That, was that in the was that in the books? Oh, because I I assumed that it was all from the It made uh, it made it all it made show. it made it all canon. Oh. All of that stuff existed in Extended Universe. It's oh. just that like none of none of it was canon until George Lucas essentially gave Clone Wars said that Clone Wars was canon. And that's the way Star Wars works, you know, as to whether it's canon or not. Is George Lucas saying it's canon? <laughs> so basically, George Lucas is the Pope in Star Wars. Yes. The Star Wars universe. He gives you his blessing. Yeah. And according to Dave Filoni, like, apparently when he first met with Luke, George Lucas, George Lucas had a lot of this stuff mapped out. Like, the overarching themes... He had very well mapped out in his like in his brain, and could talk about it like very like in depth, which is it's like that's surprising because he didn't execute any of it terribly well. He's not a good writer. <laughs> yeah, he, that's his problem. He is not a good writer. Oh man, okay, we're, we're getting we yeah we're getting low battery, so we're we okay. might we can we can still talk, but we're gonna have to like. So we, we, we started about some talking about something else while we yeah, went we to... Yeah, we were talking about Castlevania uh, and about how my first season is being disappointed by that show is expected. It's yeah. not the good it's, first it's, it's, it's also because it's only four episodes, so they never really get into 
stuff. They really get into things. I mean, in the second season and the third season. And then we were talking about so to as a segue to this, uh, Castlevania season four is going to come out. I don't. I think they have some like preview art, but they don't have an actual preview yet. Uh, and then we were discussing the other thing that was done by the studio that did Castlevania, which uh, was uh, Blood of Zeus, which was we. Uh, you were saying you really liked it. I I thought it was okay. Um, the voice acting was not great. It's complete, almost completely CG animation. And what I was gonna say about that is like the That's fight. The CG the, the, it's almost you could tell because a lot of the movement is is a little bit stiff. They haven't quite gotten it down yet. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's 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 so what it is at least what it looks like is it is it's cell animation, but cell animation produced completely digitally, meaning like like completely in. It's like CG cell animation, so there's no actual... It's drawing, but it's done like completely... It, it looks different than Castlevania looks. Stylistically, it looks the same, but the, the fluidity of fluidity of the animation isn't quite there. I mean, it was cool, I mean, but... my the context in, with me watching it was like late nights, I was bored... That's um, how I watch it too. Yeah, it's not bad as, as it, that it kind was of enjoy- thing. I mean, I'm, it's not the greatest, but it was... I was like... This is interesting. I like the style of the animation. Yeah. Uh, and I love the mythology. Did you, you know? see the other thing that that stu- the other Netflix series? I, I think it was yeah, Netflix series that that studio produced. Sesmanos. Sesmanos. That's what I need to get. Sesmanos is fucking dope. Okay, all right. That <laughs> all right, I'll get back to that. I yeah. saw one episode but then I got distracted by other content on Netflix or other um, platforms. But it looks weird it's, and it's, interesting. So it is a uh, an animated western, kind of, uh, but more but modern. The cast is the cast both on screen and for the most part uh, behind the scenes and the voice of actors. All Latino, like all the characters are Latino, except they all know Kung Fu <laughs> and they've been taught Kung Fu. So it's like also martial arts. And it's one of those like weird mashups that like you would think that it and it's also like, you know, magic and like Santeria and like, you know, one of the characters is definitely like has like a dark side. And as many times, like one of the anime tropes is like you have your dark broody character and when he goes dark, he becomes super strong, but also not able to control his abilities. Uh, yeah, it's actually like... Save Smile. Did not save Smile? No, no it's, it's because it's, it's in Spanish. It's not. Because <laughs> I remember seeing that a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. I just never... It didn't... It wasn't, it wasn't super popular. It, it, here, actually, here's what I'll say. That There it is. Uh, I will say it's not as popular as it should have been. It is super, in my opinion, it's super dope. It's just one of those things that like mashes up like yeah. all the things that you could like. Mexican culture, kung fu. Yeah, kung fu. Well, yeah. 
and also in one of those, like a mashup that like you wouldn't necessarily think off the top of your head, like like you know, like I said, Mexican myths and Mexican culture, um, not just Mexican. I don't I don't think it's purely Mexican um, in it, uh, and also kung fu. Yeah, it's just it's just like what I was saying. It's like this is, I'm sure there are, there I'm certain that there are probably like low budget B movies that came out of Latino countries where the, like that there's stuff like that yeah. but it's just like this is something that no one has tried before <laughs> and in, and as an anime too i mean not as like a japanese anime it's produced for netflix so but it's just like yeah no one's ever done anything like like i said i was i was kind of disappointed that like it didn't do better you know like it's not great but it's but it's it's a dif- different take to animation and you know kung fu because typically you expect you know like asian you know, martial arts. Yeah. And you don't see, you know, different cultures being included, except with the exception of, uh, I guess, well, Afro Samurai, but there's, I mean, black cult, well, I guess a little hip hop. There's, there's a big overlap, a lot of it having to do with Wu-Tang, uh, because Wu-Tang is, of course, their, yeah, that takes their name and, like, a lot of, there's a bunch of stuff in, like, their, the whole mythos that, Wu-Tang Clan created around themselves is all around like uh, Kung Fu Chinese Kung Fu movies from the 70s particularly the uh, very specifically three movies uh, The Five Deadly Venoms uh, what is it Um, something of the flying guillotine I can't remember the rest of it uh there's actually more than one flying guillotine movie, but it's uh, the I think it's Master of the Flying Guillotine and the Wu Tang Clan. There is there is actually a like the Wu Tang Clan are an actual like kung fu film group in kung fu films. Like, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's all there. So like the and the fact that like anime has always been like a thing, um, going all the way like you know. Uh, early, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, I mean, Jim Kelly, uh, you know, most quote-unquote famously, uh, especially if you live in Brooklyn or up in Harlem, oh, uh, The Last Dragon yes. and Timac. Uh, yeah, it's it's like, it's a whole, like, undercurrent of, uh, like, there. I had a lot of friends, uh, like, black and Latino kids, uh, who live, uh, who are just, like, huge anime fans, especially Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball is, like, yeah. the go-to anime. But, but like, it's, it, it was, you know, it's one of those, like, stereotypes when people think of, like, anime or, like, comic book nerds. Some of the biggest, especially anime nerds that I've ever known were all, like, uh, you'll forgive the term because I'm a white dude saying this. I know it has it has baggage attached to it um they were very hood dudes like they were like and some of that was definitely like not like it's i'm not like saying it necessarily as a negative it was just like it's just this is the environment they were brought up in so this is a except when you talked about anime they would just they would just become these like it's it's they would shift from like guys who like if you just saw them walking down the streets Street and this is I like I made friends with like skater 
uh, skaters up in the Bronx and like guys who were just like, if they saw me outside of this, the context, I was amazed at when I, and if you really like think about this, like the people who know about this, who grew up with it, it's not a surprise to them, uh, weird side track track but like you know the type of dudes who like if you would just like saw them walking down the street like you you might be like intimidated by you them but as soon as you bring up like dragon ball or like you'd be surprised at like how much like weird obscure shit you could bring up and because a lot it it would it would bootleg a lot of there were like guys who would sell the bootleg dvds and like up and i was exposed to that via dvds I remember when we were in high school, um, I remember, like, I don't know if you ever saw that, the late night or really, really early mornings where we'd get shit ready to go to school, like, UPN 9 or Channel yeah. 11 would have, like, these Channel Channel 11 had... That's how I got exposed to Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball. And, and Sailor Moon. Yeah, and also... If you want the tie to, like, all those Shaw, Shaw Brothers movies and, like, those, you know, Kung Fu... Uh, I want to say it was either Channel 11 or possibly Fox 5 had Saturday afternoon. I can't remember. Oh, God. Someone, if you're listening to this, if we still have listeners, please, I'd have to Google this, but they had like every Saturday from like 3 to 6 or something, they would just show old Kung Fu movies. And it was like Kung Fu Saturday or something like that. I can't remember. I remember that when I was young. That was yeah, a yes, long yeah, time yeah, ago. yes. Um, I can get into that because it kind of freaked me out because of all the blood. And yeah, that was like a little too intense for me. But yeah, that was a long time ago. And then for a while there, they weren't. So they would they would mix it up. So when you got into like the early '90s, it was you know Shaw Brothers and other like Chinese kung fu movies from the '70s and early '80s. And then they would, when the Van Damme movie started the, to come out, they would, it would be like, it would be like Legend of Drunken Master and then like Bloodsport or like Kickbox or like Bloodsport and Kickbox. No, it would be like Kickboxer and then American Ninja, like oh Michael Dudikoff. Yeah. <laughs> Just going to say fucking Michael Dudikoff. I thought um, he was the dopest. Uh actor like martial art actor there was at that time and he he doesn't do martial arts at all he's there's just something as a kid i was like dude that guy's dope man he's he a is skinny white dude but he's still able to kick ass i just thought so, so the, 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 the great the hilarious thing about michael dudikoff is like he's such especially in the american ninja movies he is, and most especially the the later ones that he's actually in. He's not in all of the later ones. Um, I didn't like those. He is the straight man to all the other shit that's going on. Like, you see him, he's very wooden. And then what makes that doubly hilarious, if you want to see a, the huge contrast, is Michael Dudikoff in American Ninja and Michael Dudikoff in Bachelor Party. With Tom Hanks, he plays Tom Hanks's like best friend in that. Bachelor Party. It's such a different. He's such like a surfer dude, bro. In that he plays like he plays Tom Hanks's like best man or whatever in Bachelor Party, and I was like, holy shit, that's Michael Dudikoff, and it's a complete one eighty 
from the characters that he plays he was, in American like, Ninja. Said, the, the serious guy. He's so stiff. He's so stiff and like yeah, and very so, zen. Uh, oh, he's great. Those movies are largely terrible. Uh, say that I, the young the young child in me thought they were the greatest. American Ninja, the first one is great. American Ninja Two is great, mostly because both in the first and the second one, the guy who's like the the drill sergeant, the black guy, the big mm-hmm. black dude, he's even oh more over the top I, yeah, in American Ninja Two. That. And the setting of American Two, American Ninja Two, where they're basically it's like a it's like a fucking surf movie with surf, with ninjas. Yeah. Which, by the way, we want to talk about just weird fucking tangent we've just gone on. Um, it's I love these tangents. Fantastic, aw- one of my favorite awful movies of all time. Surf Ninjas. With Ernie Reyes Sr. and Ernie Reyes Jr. I love those. Both, both in it. I love and, those. And Rob Schneider plays his friend who thinks yeah, he has psychic yeah. powers. That movie is, in my opinion, it is one of my favorite movies. It is aggressively bad, but it's one of those movies that's just like, we, we know this is stupid. Okay. They so go in on the stupid in that movie. Going that- back to American Ninja, Annihilation. That was the last one, right? That was like no, they made one. That was like the fourth one. They made American Ninja Five, uh, and Annihilation was the fourth one. Okay, I think. Uh, and American I, I American American Annihilation. That was like that was intense. A Mike, American Ninja Three is the one that he's not in. Yes, I didn't. Like yeah, that that's one. not a great I one. I did not like that one. I mean, they're all, I guess, in context, bad movies. But yes, that was the worst. Uh. And then there's the other side of that, the, the movies, all the movies that Shokusugi is in, uh, n- the ninja movies. Ninja, where he plays the villain, uh, it's with Franco Nero, a, and then there's Ninja 2, uh, The Revenge, in which Shokusugi plays the hero, and then there's Ninja 3 to Domination, which in my opinion... Domination, I remember. Ninja 3 to Domination is... Is fantastic because it's got like demon possession in it, and fucking and fucking what's her name from from the Breaking movies? Uh, she, yeah, from Breaking and Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. She's like the main character in the Breaking movies, and she also plays the girl who's like the aerobics instructor dancer. That's in Ninja Three. Yes, and and Lopan slash like James Hong is briefly in it, which is hilarious because like. Great example of early, like, mid-90s casting of Asian actors in movies. It's just like, it's about ninjas, but <laughs> we'll put James Hong in it. Because James Hong is just in everything. Yeah. Um, also has, I think he actually has, like, a record or something. Where, like, his That's I Am... Asian? No, no, no. Like, I Am... Well, number one, like, as an Asian actor, he's been in, like, more movies than I think any Asian actor who's ever worked in Hollywood. Also, like, his IMDb is just... Because voiceover... I think he... There was, like, some, like, record that, like, for a little while that he was holding of, like, the most listings as an actor and a voice act... Just as an actor on IMDb because he was just in... There was a... And he's... Because he's been... He's in his 90s and he's been working since, like, Chinatown might have been his first movie or might not have been and that was Jack Nicholson that's like mid 60s and he's been work and he worked a little bit before then 
and he, he found it. He helped found like the East West Players, and like yeah, he's just like if you actually like go into like his like biography and like check his IMDb, it's just like the dude has had a career. I mean, we he's just went, constantly working. We went from anime manga to Ninja Three Domination. That well, yeah. was a great tangent. Well, well, I will tell you that. Uh, also, James Hong is a great play, great person to play like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with. Except in Seven Kevin, instead of Kevin Bacon, it's 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 James Hong. Like, just do that with him. Like, you will just like he was in this and this, and you might not even get to Six Degrees of Separation. You'll get like two. Oh, okay. Now I know. Oh, you're looking up who James Hong is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been in everything. He's yeah. Small roles, like major roles, voiceover, like yeah, it's crazy. The Golden Child, yeah, that's when Golden I Child. Didn't know a lot of things, but Big Trump, Big Trump, in Little China. Oh, he's I remember. Low, he'll always be low pan to me. He's low pan. Uh, yeah, great actor. Um, one of those people. When we were, I was watching a documentary on Asian American actors. And you're looking through his IMDb. No, there's like, a picture okay. of him and Cynthia Rothrock. I yes, just Cynthia that, Rothrock. Uh, it's like that was one martial arts actor I wish did more. Um, she did that whole series with the with the the um, the Middle Eastern dude, uh, the Tiger Claw movies, in which uh, Bolo Young played the villain in one of them. Uh, yeah, Cynthia Rothrock. It's just. What a weird place we've ended up. Well, like I said, it was like I think I think all 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 road like a marathon session for a shitty martial arts movie. Oh, I so because I it's been a lot. All this shit I haven't seen along like Ninja Three Domination. I really want to watch that because I remember watching it ages ago in middle school, and that shit was it's fantastically crazy. like bad and that. over the top. Uh, I so we were doing. Uh, my friend Matt and me did this. Uh, I think we did two movies. We did no. We did Ninja Three. We watched. We basically he came over and we just got drunk and watched Ninja Three because that movie's just uh, there's just so much like just martial arts weird late '80s like dance shit in it. Like because she's like an aerobics instructor and like she's from you know the breaking movies. Uh, Shokasugi, fucking James Hong, Demon Possession, and it just there. There's literally a scene in that movie. I think we've talked about this on the podcast because I I love that movie so much. Yeah, um, I know we've spoken about yeah, yeah once before. Uh, where like a like like there's the lighting and everything, and then the sword comes out of the closet, and everything about that scene is a ripoff of uh Ann and the closet scene in fucking poltergeist like it's it's poltergeist like it's it's <laughs> it's it's like that whole scene like it's just done the exact like the way they do like the the air and the lighting it's like oh this is that scene in poltergeist that they're just and except except uh instead of like you know the poltergeist coming out and grabbing a little blonde child it's a floating ninja store so- sword that's going to possess the pretty dancer like <laughs> but it's the same fucking scene 
Yeah, God, I love that movie. <laughs> People, you guys gotta watch bad uh, martial arts films. If you, you have to. As I believe it was, uh, it was I, either. I it's either it was either Dana Gould or Dan Telfer who said it was like, if you, uh, don't enjoy bad movies, you're missing out on like the enjoyment of like eighty percent of movies. <laughs> Look, I I love me some some Pacific Rim up, Uprising, and that movie's awful. That movie's terrible. I enjoy that. Fuck you, Ben. I, I enjoyed mean, it too. It's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. I enjoyed it very much. But yeah, uh, so there is that. And now we're just, we're just waiting on Rich. He, I think he meant that he had just started it at like. He just started. Yeah, I think he was gonna come in at nine, but I think I think what he meant was he had just started watching it at nine. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's other. Uh, do we want to maybe? Did you? Do we still want to hold off on, on. Uh, we could continue on a Mandalorian and just like. What? Well, no, no, no. I was gonna say we could maybe cover a little bit of because I thought about it some more today. Uh, we could maybe. Oh, wait, is he coming in, or is that just another message on your? No, that's another okay. Uh, Lovecraft Country. We could talk about Lovecraft. Oh Country. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so just uh, like an watching oh, ninja movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our, ma- our, ma- our massive tangent is is watch you some some terrible martial arts movies from the eighties and nineties. There, there, uh, there are some there are some wonderful gems of hilarity in there. Uh, so yeah, Lovecraft Country. Um, overall, I really like the season. I know we discussed before in the now lost episode how the. The 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 finale didn't really come I together thought, in a lot of ways that I think we both hoped it might have. I think I don't mind the finale simply because of the how well the entire season was, and considering this is a first season of a batshit crazy series. Yeah. Uh, this I had very low expectations okay. coming in, and I was just blown away. Yes, the ending was very anticlimactic, and I felt, you know, I was a little cross with, you know, some of the characters and what they did in the end. Um, but overall, I thought it was just amazing. So, because I'm not a big fan of horror sure. and shit like that, but they just, like, they, I think we mentioned this about, like, how there's always a special theme yeah. for each episode. Each episode I've was like its own that. little its own little genre, its I, own I genre. I appreciate the the lengths that they went to to make this show feel very different from other weird sci-fi horror yeah. TV shows. Um I just loved it and I thought the cast was amazing. You mentioned that you did not like Tick as, as a, character, a character, as a character, as a character. Uh, I will. I, so here's what I'll say. Like just like running, you know, like uh, quickly through strengths and weaknesses. I felt like the finale was a very much a culmination of, unfortunately, and I'm not saying it was bad, or that I didn't like the uh, the finale. I will say that there was definitely aspects of the finale that pointed out. 
it, it emphasized it was unfortunately now that I've thought about it more uh, it, it, for me it unfortunately like emphasized what all of the the writing weaknesses of the show throughout the season uh, and you don't notice them in the earlier episodes because each episode is its own genre and like so the, the overarching narrative I think like storytelling wise wasn't executed terribly well from a storytelling perspective and also in individual episodes I think like from uh, a storytelling like structure uh, point of view I think that was the show the season's biggest weakness which means that like some of the stuff that was done really well or set up really well by the time you get to the end of the season or in each individual episode by the time you get to the end of the episode it doesn't pay off as much as it maybe should have I think what makes up for that uh, incredibly is number one it's shot amazingly the cinematography is beautiful and the cast are phenomenal like most especially like the 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 main three characters and even most especially most especially uh the actor who plays montrose the the dad he's yeah he's a great he's fed like he sells moments in that the and also interactions between more most to do Yes. Uh, Until very much later in the season when you see Tig finally, like, when they finally come together when they travel into the past, the time travel episode, essentially, um, you see, like... So I think character-wise, the payoffs, especially later in the season, are definitely what make it, and the actors definitely sell that. But like I said, like idea-wise, I think because you had a different genre basically in every episode, that the overarching like narrative they were trying to tell throughout the season get got a little lost. Um, that being said, like the body switch episode, which I was a little nervous about, like the race switch, like. I... But as a horror fan, that that was fantastic. As an allegory, I was a little bit like I was worried about it. I, I was like, I that was executed pretty. That was executed pretty it. great. I, mean, I I didn't know much about it, but I had a colleague at work who told me about that episode. Yeah, she didn't say she didn't ruin anything or spoil anything. She's like, you gotta watch that shit. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I think uh, I don't know if there's um, I don't recall it, which if you've mentioned that shit like this has happened in other. TV yes, it's movies. not. It's or, not. It's not specific. It wasn't specifically uh, race uh, related, but there are uh, what's the word in in law um, precedents for it. Uh, there is an alien movie with a really weird alien movie with Drew Barrymore called Body Double that has that. Uh, it's actually the way they do the transformation is actually a really popular way not a really popular but it, it's, it's actually one of the ways they often show werewolf transformation is a literal like the transition between human to werewolf is literally your skin come, falls off or like the werewolf literally bursts through the human skin uh, that is a way that they have done in, in werewolf 
like horror, especially horror movies. I've seen that in like werewolf movies. Uh, and that was like that effect and how gross it was. It's just like, I was just like, ah, oh, that's. I mean, it, the it, bone it, cracking. That was that, the thing. The that, bone cracking I think is I the rem- thing. I mentioned that that was a reason why I could not stomach the Descent movie sure. franchise. I mean, the first movie was just very uncomfortable. Just the, the cracking of bones as those yes. monsters were getting after those climbers. Um, but yeah, that episode was just like. It pulls on a lot of issues where a lot of you know African Americans you know have yeah. with, you know within our culture about like people wanting to be white or acting white and this is where you know it pulls on that you know trying to just want to live your life and sure. be free and having that freedom um, and that just like I I was like throughout the entire episode my jaw was to the floor I was like no fucking way did they do all of this shit. Yeah, you know, going to that length and just and at the end where, you know, where that character I forgot her name Ruby, uh, gets, gets her revenge on that person. I was like, yeah, I love Ruby. Yes. I love Ruby so much. Um, that episode made me love to hate her character. Yeah, no, no, I understand. I love I, I, to hate yes. her character as a result of that uh, episode. Um, but yeah, that was just. Um, that was quite. That was quite an episode. Yeah, I mean, uh, they've been. They've been. It's not. From start to finish, to finish, it's not all great. Yeah, I admit that. But there are just like some episodes where shit. Yeah, is amazing. The Poltergeist episode. The second episode is fan- was, is amazing. It's fantastic. That's yeah. the episode that really got. That's me. the one. Yeah, um, I agree. And I love the Indiana Jones. The Indiana Jones I love that episode is great. The Afrofuturism one. Oh yeah. The uh Hippolyta focus episode is great. Uh I wanted the Korean horror movie episode to be better than it was. Uh I yes. loved I love Jamie Chung. The one who plays the nine nine tailed fox. I was a fan of hers from from the X Men show that nobody watched. Uh, That's how to rent right now. New Mutants, right? Not New Mutants. No, no, no. The the show. Uh, uh, what was it? Oh God, Amy Acker was on it. Um, uh, shit, it'll come to me. Legion. No, Legion was the fantastic one. There was another that was on FX. There was another one that was on Fox called uh It'll Come to Me. It was like third tier X-Men characters like Polaris and Thunderbird. Um and Jamie Chung played Blink in it and she was awesome. Oh, that God. was a cable show. No, it was network. That's why I think it failed. Uh it was on two seasons. Oh god. The Gifted. It was called The Gifted. <clears throat> As an X-Men nerd, they did a lot of stuff with, like, C-level X-Men characters that was really cool. Uh, And the storytelling and the acting was pretty... It's just... It was one of those shows that, like, it was unfortunately on uh, Network, I think, Fox. And it just... It still got two seasons, which was impressive because, like, no one was watching it. Uh, I think it just got a strong enough, like, fan following that, like, they let it go for a second season um yeah and it was there was really intriguing stuff like concept wise like it's it's a world where both the x-men 
they they have a thing they call the event uh where they strongly imply that it is whatever the event that happened pre-Logan as well oh, okay. um they never explicitly say it say it because I don't think they wanted to directly directly tie it to the like the film franchise but they like first in the show the both the X-Men and the Brotherhood uh which is the Brotherhood of Evil Evil Mutants are gone so Professor X, Cyclops, all the main X-Men, they're all gone. They've all disappeared for some, somehow. And Magneto, Mystique, all of those, all of those Sabretooth, all of them have also all disappeared. Even in an event that they're strongly Im- implied had to do with uh, Jean Grey, possibly. Like, uh, and they never really deal with it. But yeah, it's like C-level X-Men characters. It's It wasn't... Like, the acting wasn't, depending on who was on the show, like, who the the character they were focusing on, sometimes the acting was really good, sometimes it wasn't, sometimes the storytelling was really good, sometimes it wasn't, um, but overall, like, there was enough intriguing ideas in the show that it was like, oh, I wish more people had watched it. 